Well, good morning, everyone. I'm Mark. I'm the lead pastor here. I'm glad that you guys are here this morning. We um, are in a series on prayer, but I wanted to start with uh, a question. The question that I have for you guys is, uh, are you ready? There's a lot of things when you think about getting ready uh, that takes time, takes effort, that sometimes when you think, well, am I really ready for this? Uh, Sometimes we really aren't, even when we prepare. And a good example of that, I think, would be marriage, right? Or is any of us really ready uh, for what marriage can bring us? Now, we might uh, work on our own spiritual journey. We might try and mature, or we might even practically uh, have a job to provide, which I didn't quite have when I was engaged to Andrea, but that's a whole other story. But those are the things that um, you think you might want to have, or you go through marriage, pre-marriage counseling, those kinds of things to set yourself up to succeed. So when you're ready for that, you, you know, you Hope for the best, but, you know, you trust the Lord through that. Another example, I think, is uh, I think everybody in this room, or most of you in this room, including myself, uh, we're never really ready for winter. I don't know how many people I've talked to, not only here, and I've lived in the Midwest for about 10 years, so in Minnesota and then here, and people are like, man, it's so cold, the winter is long, especially once you hit February now that we're in and we're like, okay, we're done. We're done with winter. But when you're ready for winter, you got to be prepared. You got to dress appropriately. Now, we all know those people that no matter the temperature, they have a hoodie on and shorts. So you don't have to uh, point those people out in this room here. Um, Is that you, Steve? No, I just said I wouldn't point anybody out. But uh, so we all know those people, but in theory, you should be prepared and ready to go for the elements that... uh, you know, present itself. Now, for a number of years, I didn't have something that was probably pretty essential. And even my last year living in Minnesota, I finally broke down and bought snow boots. And I'm like, I just don't want to spend the money on snow boots at all. I'm like, that's the last thing I want to use my money for. So for a number of years there, I didn't have snow boots. And finally, there was a time where I was, we were doing a youth ministry event. I was overseeing youth ministry and uh, in Lakeville, Minnesota, and we went to this uh, to this uh, tubing hill. It's called Buck Hill in Burnsville, Minnesota, and we went there. And I just had normal shoes, like tennis shoes or whatever. And needless to say, and it was below zero. It's cold, you know, over there, and uh, the snow on the ground is freezing. And so my feet were just frozen after like 20 minutes. And I'm like, this is miserable. This is like my worst nightmare. Uh, and you couldn't get warm. Thankfully, somebody. I had extra boots in their car, so I got to put those on, and I'm like, when I put those on, that was life-changing, and that was like a, a conversion moment for me, because I'm like, this is, this is a big deal. You can actually be outside, and your feet don't have to freeze. All these years, I've been shoveling snow, and in below zero temperatures, snow blowing, and my feet are frozen because I'm just wearing normal shoes. These are amazing. It's interesting when we have the appropriate uh, uh, clothes and things, and we're able to endure the elements, what that means, whether it's snow boots, a good winter coat, gloves, all of those things, snow pants, you need to be prepared The reason why I bring all of this up is because of this sermon series that we've been in. Now, this series, it, excuse me, normally I have the series planned out, like, ideally, like, this is a three-week series, so I kind of know where we're going for three weeks. But this time, I, you know, I kind of had that in my mind, but as I was studying and praying, I'm like, I need to make some adjustments, because I felt 
uh, spiritual warfare with this particular series and uh, and seeing even as we were looking at first Peter uh, the first week of this series how we're how we're to humble ourselves before uh, the Lord and and he by his mighty hand he lifts us up and then he says to cast our anxieties all of our concerns make him responsible for them and then uh, because he cares for us uh, and uh, Peter though he continues on in first Peter 5 verse 8. Uh, you can see that on the screen. Let me pull that up here as well. Uh, he says here, you can read that up there, but let me pull it up. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. That's after the cast, your anxieties, you know, seek God in prayer. We're going to cast the, those cares on him because he cares for us. And then Peter says this, and I believe that it's, the devil doesn't want us seeking God in prayer. He doesn't want us pursuing him uh, at all. And he wants to destroy us, to devour us. You know, seeking God is part of who we are here. We grow together as a church family, and then we, uh, we reach out to those who are disconnected. And we do this by seeking God in his word and in prayer and together in worship. And the enemy doesn't want us to do that. He doesn't want us to seek him earnestly, to pray for one another, to, to pray for our family members, to pray for our community at Norwalk. He doesn't want us to do any of those things. Uh, he wants to take us out. Now, last week I talked about how we... Um, we foster cats. So, uh, you know, there's strays out there and things. So we have a cat in our home. And uh, one time he like, uh, the cat scratched me, kind of pricked my finger and I had a little bit of blood. And sometimes at least I can think, is that what the enemy does? He just wants to prick us or just scratch us. No, he wants to completely devour us. I have a picture here of a cat that you might find funny. So here's a cat that looks like a lion. Sometimes we might think the devil looks like this, right? He's just a cute little cuddly guy. Let me play with him. It's okay. I'm kind of going to entertain Satan a little bit. And he's just a cute guy. And he, he won't really hurt me. No, he, he wants to destroy us. He wants to devour us. Now, don't worry. This is not my cat. I did not dress that cat up. But just I found that on the internet. But no, this isn't saying he isn't this cute, cuddly, furry person that we even just humor. No, we need to stand against him. Do not be led astray. Don't let him devour you. And I said last week, I looked at all of you in the eyes and I said, I don't want a single one of you to be devoured or destroyed. This is why I believe that we are going to adjust a little bit with this series and talk about Ephesians uh, chapter 6. So, so Paul, he is in prison and he writes this letter uh, to the church in Ephesus. And he reaches this pivotal point in his letter here to this church. And then, of course, to us uh, by talking about the armor of God here. So in Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 20, I'm just going to read uh, these verses and then we'll talk about them. So Paul, he says, Finally, be strong in the Lord and in his mighty power. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore, put on the full armor of God so that when, when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything to stand, stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, 
with the breastplate of righteousness in place and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me that whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So Paul, he starts by saying, be strong in the Lord in his mighty power. We've talked about this in this series that we humble ourselves under God's mighty hand. It is his power, his strength that we rely on. We're strong in him. We humble ourselves. You, we humble yourself under God's mighty hand. Uh, Peter, he says in verse 9 in chapter 5, we talked about this last week, stand firm against him. Be strong in your faith. So it's not being strong uh, in you, in your own strength, but we're strong in the fact that we trust Jesus. We trust what he has done for us. Uh, and, and it's not in our own strength at all. Uh, Paul says earlier in chapter 1, I'm going to read a portion of these verses here. You'll see them on the screen. I pray that the eyes of your hearts may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparable great power for us who believe. That power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. So his mighty power is the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. This is the power that we have available to us, that is for us. It's not our own strength in our own way that we can, you know, fight the devil or be in a spiritual battle or, or just live our lives just in our own strength. No, we do this only in the power that, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, not in our own strength. The, the picture that I had in my mind is imagine, uh, I, you know, I had need people to move stuff, say, like when we moved to Norwalk and we have all these things. I need you guys to, to help me. And I have this huge sectional and I have this, you know, huge fridge maybe that we had to move. We have these heavy things. And I said, you know what, I'm going to get, uh, you know, Margo and Joel. That's my four-year-old and six-year-old. I need you guys with your strong, you know, mighty power to, to move these things. Like, how's that going to go? Uh, they could hurt themselves, and, you know, obviously they probably won't because they can't budget at all. They weren't, aren't going to be able to move any of those items of furniture. I believe that's what it looks like when we try in our own strength to, to engage in this spiritual battle, to engage in the life that we have. When we try and do it in our own strength, we aren't going to be able to do anything. As I said, the enemy wants to destroy us, wants to devour us. We should not do it in our own strength, but we can with the same power that raised Jesus from the dead. So Paul, he continues in verse 11 uh, in uh, chapter 6 here, put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So Paul in verse 11, he, he talks about the devil's schemes. 
And notice that there's a parallel there with what we looked at with, in First Peter with the, the, the devil that is like a lion. He's prowling around. He's scheming. He's waiting for his day, his moment to try and take us down. And Paul, he makes this point here about our battle isn't against flesh and blood. I believe what he's saying here is there's more going on than we realize. There's more going on than we realize. Maybe this morning you wanted to uh, get up early and pray and seek the Lord, and something distracted you. Something got in that way. Now, it could have just been you needed an extra hour of sleep, or it could be more going on with what is happening, that the enemy does not want us to seek God in prayer. He doesn't want us in his word. He doesn't want us sharing the good news of Jesus. He doesn't want any of those things, and he will prevent us from doing those things. Or, for example, you may have a misunderstanding with your your spouse or with your kids. There could be conflict there with a coworker, and there could be more going on than just flesh and blood. And I believe The enemy wants us to think, oh, it's just this issue that I have with this person, or it's just this thing that is preventing me from prayer, and he wants us to think that it has nothing to do with him. So do not fall for that trap, that scheme of the enemy who wants us to think, oh, all we see is flesh and blood, especially here in America, in the West, we could just see the physical and just miss that. Now, that doesn't mean that the devil or a demon or something is under every chair here. I would never say that, that he's just, everything is him. But at the same time, we need to be sober, alert, as Peter says, to know, to watch out for those attacks, to watch out for those things that can cause division, unforgiveness, even sickness. Those things can be spiritual, and we need to be on guard. So another thing that Paul talks about here is, you know, this day of evil that is going to come. Another way to say it is when wickedness uh, grabs its moment. And now there could be a day of evil. You know, there's things that can happen as we get toward the time that Jesus returns. But each and every day, the enemy is looking for his moment. The moment when we are weak, when we are exhausted, when we are, when we are hurt, that he wants to capitalize on our weakness and take those moments from us is in those moments that we need to earnestly seek after God to seek him uh, and his will for us and for those around us to to lift him up in prayer uh, to him so let's take a look at the uh, the things of the armor, the different pieces of the armor. So the first three that we want to look at is are the belt of truth, the breastplate of righteousness, and the feet fitted with the gospel of peace. So the, the belt of truth we could see is when you have a belt, as I have one on right now, it holds things together. So when we don't have that, really, why are we here? If the truth of the gospel isn't true, then I could just say, you're all dismissed, you know, have an early lunch, we're, we're finished here. Because if this is not true, this whole thing falls apart. So when we have this armor on, we need to have that belt of truth. It keeps things together, it keeps our faith together, it keeps the truth of the gospel together. The next thing we can see here is this breastplate of righteousness, that we can trust in a God who will make things right. So when you have this breastplate that protects us, it's God's righteousness is that he is a righteous judge. 
So we can see all the wrongs that are happening in this world. We can see it on the news, even locally. A lot of things can be really tragic. We long for someone to make that right. You can just think of shootings and things, even in Des Moines, that we're like, wow, I can't believe this is happening. And we long for someone to right these wrongs. This is what he promises that he will one day do. But he began that by saying that, we have a wrong, we're in the wrong as well. I fall short, you guys fall short. And Jesus came, laid down his life for us so that we can be made right with him. So we could be brought into a right relationship with God. And one thing, what God has done for those of us who are followers of Jesus, making us right with him, he will one day do for the whole world. This world that he loves, he's going to make a new earth, a new creation. He's going to do that one day, make things right. All the wrongs that we see, all the evil we see. So that can and will protect us as we have that breastplate on. The next thing is uh, the God makes peace with us. This feet fitted with the readiness that comes with the gospel of peace, that God has made peace between us and him uh, by reconciling us, making us right with him. Notice how these things all work together. They overlap as well, that God makes peace with us. And you think of peace when, the, when there's no peace, there's war, there's conflict. In fact, Paul he borrows this, led by the Spirit, he, he uses language from Isaiah the prophet. Isaiah, he says this in uh, chapter 52, verse 7, How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who bring good news, who proclaim peace, who bring good tidings, who proclaim salvation, who say to Zion, to Jerusalem, to God's people, your God reigns. So what is happening here is there's like a messenger, somebody who will give an update on like a a, a war and say this is where things are at. This is an update of this battle that is happening. And here this person is bringing good news that guess what? God reigns. He rules and reigns. He's won. He's, he has uh, provided peace. There, the, the war is over. God is victorious. And God brings this good news that God reigns. Now, we might not go to and, and say, God reigns. You know, maybe if you felt really led by the Spirit, you could do that. I would just run it by somebody else if you're going to do that. But you could be, you know, uh, somewhere and listening to someone. Hey, I'm struggling. Hey, I'm going through this. And you could say and pray with them. I want God to rule and reign in this situation. I want God to bring healing, comfort, uh, restoration, whatever that is. God rule and reign in their lives. May your kingdom come and your will be done in this situation. I was at Costco a few weeks ago, and uh, I love Costco. I'm sure many of you do, or maybe you like Sam's Club. But I was there, and I was talking with someone, and they shared with me some things. And, uh, and I was like, I, you know, I could pray for them right here in Costco, right over rotisserie chicken. It just smells really good just 20 feet away from me. And I thought, you know, why not pray for them and pray in this situation that, hey, God, you know, have your way in this situation, bring healing and whatever was going on with that that we can do that, to, to not shout again, God reigns. Again, God could maybe do that, but to pray over people. Why not at Costco? Why not at Fairway? Why not wherever it is that you find yourselves? Don't miss that moment. So if you see me at Fairway or Costco, I may pray for you if you have a request. So um, anyway, let's continue on. So the, we talked about the 
uh, the shield of the next three things I want to talk about are the shield of faith, the helmet of salvation, and the sword of the spirit. So this shield of faith is really I like the, uh, put it, saying it like this: uh, believing loyalty in Jesus as Lord will protect us from the enemy's attacks. And I love this combining these two words: believing and loyalty, or belief and loyalty. Because when you trust in something, you're going to be loyal. It's, it's not like when I, we were talking about, I'm going to cast my cares on the Lord like, a, like we we're fishing. I'm going to cast those out to him, and then I'm going to reel them back in. And then I'm like, okay, now I'm going to go take care of it. But I just wanted God to, to know that. When we do that, that's not being loyal to him. Uh, or if I gave that example of Margot and Joelle, who's uh, like, hey, you guys are going to help me move these heavy things. Well, guess what? I'm not going to be loyal to them. I'm gonna, I know that they can't do it. I will do it, uh, and, or I have some other people do it instead. So, but when we say that we believe we're loyal, we, we cast those to God, make him responsible, and we leave them there with him, and we trust him with that. We are loyal to him. Uh, so some of that could be, as I said, we'll we rely on our own strength and say, I'm going to do it my way. Or sometimes we rely on other things or, or pursue other things that we kind of make gods in our lives we need to be loyal to the one that has the power, that mighty power that rose Jesus from the dead. The next thing is the helmet of salvation. So this is where we are knowing what Jesus has done for us and that he rescued us will enable us to face adversity. So this is the knowledge that we can have that can protect us in knowing that God is the one who saves. God is the one who rescues. It's not me. It's not you. It's not something else or somebody else. It is him. And, it is, and, and that can help us to stand against the enemy's attacks. And the next thing we can see here is uh, the sword of the spirit uh, is the word of God. This is uh, the word of God that I have here. This is God's word inspired by the Spirit. But the, his word communicates the gospel of Jesus. Uh, that Jesus is really the story of the Bible. That he came uh, to his creation that was fallen uh, and laid down his life for us. Rose again to give us new life and a new creation. This is the story of the Bible. This is what Paul is talking about uh, with the sword of the spirit. This is like the, the offensive weapon, if you will, of this armor that we can use like that herald, like that person who proclaims good news that God reigns, God makes peace. This is our weapon against the darkness that would come to want to destroy us, to devour us, to scheme, to distract us, uh, that we have this word to proclaim to others, not just by our words, but also by how we live and how we love and how we show uh, what God has done for us to, to others. And the last thing is pray in the Spirit. Now, some people think, oh, should this be part of the armor of God? I don't want to bore you with uh, that debate, but I see it's so linked here uh, with the armor of God. Uh, In verses 18 through 20, uh, Paul says, And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Pray also for me whenever I speak, words may be given so that I will fearlessly make known the mysteries or the mystery of the gospel. 
for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So Paul says, pray on all occasions, all the time. We don't have to think, oh, you know, I don't want to bother God with this, you know, thing or that thing. And maybe we have more grace for our kids because my kids will pray about everything, right? So we pray at night with them or pray over a meal or different times we pray and they can say, God, thank you that I got Christmas presents this Christmas. You know, that's a big prayer right after Christmas. And, uh, you know, let's pray that Joel or Margo feels, you know, better because they were uh, sick over this last week. These are prayers that we can pray, but pray all the time about everything. There isn't anything too small that you can't cast those cares to him. And then, of course, we can let him know those big things that are heavy on our hearts as we pray for our family or for our marriage or for our community or our country. We can lay those things and cast those out to him. I love it. You know, Paul says, pray for the Lord's people, which we want to do, of course. But I love what Paul says here. He says, pray for me or pray for Paul. I find that really interesting here. He's like, pray for me. He's asking for prayer requests here. And here he's writing this letter to them, but he's not ashamed to, uh, to ask uh, for prayers from them, uh, you know, for him. And uh, you think about the New Testament. I, I mean, this shouldn't be a, a secret to you guys, but all the churches in the first century, they were pretty messed up. There was were, a lot of dysfunction. In fact, we probably wouldn't have a New Testament uh, if there weren't a lot of issues, including in Ephesus. There was some division going on with Jews and Gentiles. It, was, it, it wasn't you know, perfect at all, to say the least. And yet Paul is saying, pray for me. And what I believe I want us to take away with, from this is Paul will take prayer from any believer of Jesus, any follower of Jesus, And that should be the same for us here. Whether you've been a a Christian for five minutes or 50 years, God will cast your cares on him. Make those things known. Pray to him. Whether you're a perfect Christian, uh, and I'm trying to see, let me look, who's the perfect Christian in here? Uh, It's pretty, well, yeah, you're you're pretty close, but not quite. Um, You know, none of us are perfect. So whether you're, wherever you're at in your faith, pray, pray. Pray to God for whatever it is you're going through. Pray for other people. You could pray for, you know, Paul is doing good right now. He's with the Lord uh, and and experiencing that. But for other people like that, we could pray for. And let's do that. Lift each other up in prayer. We don't have to let, I believe one of the devil's schemes is to make us think we can't. We can't go to God. But we know that we can because of what Jesus has done for us. Now, I wanted to read a couple of passages here I think that are really important for us. And then I'm getting close to the end here. So in Isaiah 11, he says this, the prophet, but with righteousness, he will judge the needy. With justice, he will give decisions for the poor of the earth. He will strike the earth with a rod of his mouth. With the breath of his lips, he will slay the wicked. Righteousness will be his belt. Faithfulness, the sash around his waist. And then in Isaiah 59, he says, He put on righteousness as a breastplate, the helmet of salvation on his head. He put on the garments of vengeance and wrapped himself in zeal as in a cloak. So here this is something that that Isaiah is describing. Uh, He isn't describing some soldiers, some person, some Jewish person or children of Israel, their armor. No, he's describing the Lord's armor. 
is what he's doing. So that if you recall, we were talking about Exodus and God, he uh, makes a way for the Israelites to go across dry ground and, and he messes with the chariots and everything and he provides this victory. The, the, the Egyptians said the Lord is fighting for his people. He, he has this armor on. Or here in Isaiah, this is the armor of the Lord. This is huge here because when you think about the armor and I had Miss Julie cut these things out, well, it's really important, you know, for kids to, to visualize things, and maybe for adults, too. These can be um, hard concepts to grasp because they're kind of abstract. So, you know, Miss Julie cut out this shield. Here's a shield of faith, I think. Here's this, this breastplate. Maybe I should have got some tape and taped this on me. Uh, you know, here's a helmet. It's kind of cool. Protects yourself. Here we have some shoes that are, you know, the gospel of peace. Um, I think this is supposed to be the belt. I think, I don't know. And then we have this sword, right? So it's good, right? You can imagine getting some kids, if we were doing an object lesson, trying to help them understand, oh yeah, these are the different pieces of armor. Now, if we were to go out in our own strength and our armor, I think I've said last week with some youth up here, if we just go, let's go fight the Satan ourselves, at least we have each other. Uh, if we do that, it would be like fighting with this. Like what kind of damage is this going to do? Nothing. What is this? This is like... You know, it's, sorry. <laughs> this isn't going to do, this isn't going to do anything, right? It's not going to do anything. We, we're done for if we're fighting with our own armor. So my big idea for us, as we're getting ready for this spiritual battle, is the armor that we put on is God's armor. It's the Lord's armor. Think about that for a second. This is the Lord's armor, like, First of all, I'm like, should I put this on? Uh, should I put this armor on? I'm not worthy to put this armor on. Are you kidding me? I am weak. I am broken. I am a sinner. I am all of these things. I am not perfect. And yet, by God's grace, he says, put on my armor. Put on my helmet. Put on my breastplate of righteousness. Uh, put on the belt of truth. Wield that sword of the spirit. Have that shield of faith. Have the gospel of peace that we can a show and share to others. We are graced. A gift is this armor. So what would it look like? What if just, you know, I don't know how many people is in here right now, maybe 100-ish people. What if just us in this room actually put on the full armor of God, the Lord's armor, each and every day? What would happen? What would happen to those things that we are earnestly seeking the Lord for, for our marriage, for our families, for our schools, for Norwalk, for our church? What would happen if we did that? We had the Lord's armor with his mighty power, the same mighty power that freed the Israelites from, from slavery, that rose Jesus from the dead. I believe God would work in, in our community here, work in our church, break down strongholds, unite us as a church and a community if we put on the full armor of God each and every day. So don't leave here until you go to the Lord and think, okay, God, I want to put this armor on, the whole thing, and know that you'll be with me and with us as a church. Now, I want to invite Carrie Scouten up here. Uh, we are doing, starting a, a class on the Fresh One, Fresh Fire book we talked about. I just want to have her share a little bit 
about that as we earnestly seek the Lord, uh, and I'll let her share. Can anybody else hear that bass drum right now? Oh, yeah, that's right. It's my heart. (laughs) Um, This is not a customary spot for me to be in this congregation. So I ask for grace. Um, I want to share a little bit about what led us to do this class, and um, and then I want to give you a taste of what this class would be like. Um, about two and a half, three years ago, I was teaching women's ministry here, and th- the need for prayer became a very constant need in my life. Um, it, I needed to be changed from the inside out. I was struggling with some things. Um, Number one, pride, um, which has been a um, something that's wanted to attach to me throughout my life. And in that process, I really started to get on my knees a lot. Um, and in that process, it became very clear that that was something that our church needed as well, is that we really needed to be rooted in prayer. And so I have been praying for that on a constant basis ever since the Lord spoke into my heart. (laughs) I went away for vacation with my husband this last fall and came home to the great delight that we were doing this book as a prayer team and then found out that leadership was doing it too and that staff was doing it too, and my heart just started to leap for joy. And in that process, I didn't expect what it was going to look like. I had a vision of what I thought God was going to do, and what I found out is it it looked very different than what I thought. I want to share with you a little bit from the book, Um, because I think it's so powerful of what it's speaking to our congregation and what we can do in the power of God. I want to tie just a little bit with the sermon today, because when I listened to what you preached, which I love the armor of God, and when I listened to that, it tied strongly into chapter 11 of the book. And um, what it reminded me of was 2 Samuel uh, 23 and First Chronicles 2, and it's they're t- both of those are talking about King David, and they're talking about being um, in battle at that time. And David had some really powerful what what they call mighty warriors. Okay, who doesn't want to be a mighty warrior? Who doesn't want to come into battle on a day-to-day basis with, with all the chaos in this world and doesn't want to be a mighty warrior? And that's what I think of when I think of the armor of God. There isn't a day that we don't get out of bed and put on the armor of God, put on that belt of truth, put on that breastplate of righteousness, Shot our feet with the gospel of peace. Pick up that shield of faith. Put on the helmet of salvation. And pick up the word of God as our sword of the spirit. And do all of it in prayer. Right? 
That's what it's really connected to is that prayer piece. Pastor Savala was, um, was not a pastor. He, this guy was um, not educated in seminary. He didn't do um, any kind of Bible college. He was just an ordinary man like you and I. And, um, but he married a pastor's daughter, and that pastor was bold. And that pastor eventually led him to take this church. And he writes in the book, he says, In the prayer meeting of revival in 1857 to 59, there was virtually no preaching at all, yet apparently produced the greatest harvest of any spiritual awakening in American history. Estimated Estimates run to a million converts across the United States out of the national population at the time of nearly 30 million. That would be proportionate to 9 million Americans today falling on their knees in repentance. How did this happen? A quiet businessman named Jeremiah Lamfer started a Wednesday noon prayer meeting in a Dutch Reformed church here in New York City no more than a quarter mile from Wall Street. The first week, six people showed up. The next week, 20 came. The next week, 40. And they decided to have a daily meeting instead. There was no fanaticism, no hysteria, just an incredible movement of people to pray. The services were not given over to preaching. Instead, anyone was free to pray. During the fourth week, the financial panic of 1857 hit. The bond market crashed and the first banks failed. Within a month, more than 1,400 banks had collapsed. People began to calling out to God more seriously than ever. Lamphere's church started having three noontime prayer meetings in different rooms. John Street Methodist Church, a few doors east of Broadway, was packed out as well. Soon, Burton's Theater on Chamber Street was jammed with 3,000 people each noon. The scene was soon replicated in Boston, New Haven, Philadelphia, Washington, and the South. By the next spring, 2,000 Chicagoans were gathering each day in Metropolitan Theater to pray. A young 21-year-old in those meetings, newly arrived in the city, felt his first call to do Christian work. He wrote his mother back east that he was going to start a Sunday school class. His name, Dwight L. Moody. Does anyone really think America today is lacking preachers, books, Bible translations, or neat doctrinal statements? What we really lack is the passion to call upon the Lord until he opens the heavens and shows himself powerful. Consider how many gospel-preaching churches there are in the 50 states in the U.S. 200,000, if not more right now. If each of these churches on average brought only two converts to Christ a week, not robbing people from the church down the road, but winning new people for the kingdom of God, 
That would mean a hundred new baptized believers in each church in a year's time. And that's 20 million people across the United States. Can I see a show of six hands that will join us today in this class? Because that's where it starts. Six people standing up. Thank you. Thank you. Six people. Thank you. Standing up. Thank you. Thank you. Standing up and believing that Christ can do through us what we cannot do ourselves. That's what it takes, is us just being willing. I'm willing. Are you willing? Thank you. Thank you. Uh, Let me pray. Heavenly Father, we're thankful. Thankful that that you, by your grace, uh, reached out to us. We're broken and perfect people. We fall short each and every day, but by your grace, you sent your son Jesus, laid down his life for us. Uh, And you have offered us forgiveness of our sins, a right relationship with you. Uh, You have uh, given us eternal life uh, with you as well that we can begin to experience. But then as we live our lives, you have also given us your own armor to put on. May we not take that lightly. Maybe there's a slight hesitation to realize, wow, I'm going to put on the Lord's armor. But then by your grace, uh, you allow us to put that on to protect us, to protect our families, to protect our church, this community, the place that you have called us to to live our lives and to be a light in. Uh, Be with us if we're discouraged, if we feel weary and weak, uh, maybe this seems like this is the the enemy's time, his day. Uh, but if we're in Jesus, if we place our trust in him, it does not need to be uh, the devil's day. In fact, I believe that in your name, this is not Satan's day. This is not his day here at this church. It is not his day in Norwalk. It is not his day in our community, in this country, in this world. It is not as God's people put on the full armor of God. We praise you. We thank you that you've given us this to live for you, to be a light for you, uh, to, to fight for you, not in our own strength, but as we cast our cares and our anxieties on you. And thank you for your mighty hand working in our lives. I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.